This is The Blunt Doctor Show. On a Wednesday morning, and it's a Wednesday morning where I had considered recording. I wanted to talk post-game about the Suns. I wasn't sure. And then the entire basketball world decided to set itself on fire with all kinds of different news. So we're just going to dive in and talk about all of it. But I want to start with the happiest thing in my life right now. Okay, not the happiest thing in my life, but the happiest thing in my sports life. How about that? That is the Phoenix Suns absolutely beating the shit out of the Lakers last night. A 30-point beatdown, domination, you know, a crushing, whatever the fuck you want to call it. This game was basically never a game. At one point, the Lakers led like 10-5, and then it was 21-10, and then it was just, that was it. And the Suns never looked back, and they never let the Lakers go on a run, and they never took their foot off the gas, and they stepped on their fucking neck, and they said, you are not good enough to play with us. That is what happened in this game. This was Phoenix showing that they're the better team. They're the better shooting team. Yes, they're the better defensive team, despite whatever bullshit the Lakers got in the regular season. Just because the Lakers grind everything to a halt doesn't actually mean that all of their defensive numbers mean that they're elite as fuck. It just means they fucking grind everything down to a halt and force people to play half court with them. And it's difficult to play half court ball 100 possessions a game when you're against LeBron and AD. Well, guess what? You can't fucking grind us to a halt because you don't tell us what to do. You don't control the pace against us. We control the pace. Chris Paul got hurt again in this game at the end. But, you know, the Suns just continued to be awesome. Campaign continued to blow by LeBron. And watching Campaign just fly to the rim, just go right by LeBron, and just go right to the rack over and over and over this series, it's been amazing. The Lakers keep switching LeBron onto Campaign in different scenarios to try to shut him down, and Cam just goes right to the hoop, just goes right by him. Sick reverse layups. He hit a couple of shots in dudes' faces. Campaign has been fucking incredible. He's maybe been the Suns' second best player in this series behind DeAndre Ayton. Booker was amazing last night again. He might be Booker might be the second best player. I don't know. Booker's had a couple of rough games, but these last couple games he's been awesome. And all the wins he's been incredible. I don't know. It just I've been trying to tell people all season how good this Suns team was how good they're going to be. And people didn't want to listen to me. You know, it's, oh, you're a homer. Oh, they don't have playoff experience. Blah, 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 blah. I understand all of those things. But you're ignoring the level of talent and depth on this team. And that's one thing about this team. This particular version of this team from this year, you're never going to have this team again. You've got too many guys due up for paydays. You've got too many guys on you know really team-friendly contracts that they have outplayed. You're never going to have this level of depth and this level of talent again. The Suns have to win the title right goddamn now. If you want to be able to replenish that bench when you lose guys to bigger contracts and you want to be able to get veterans to come in on team-friendly deals so that you can max out all of your core guys, then you have got to win right now and prove that you can win. And that is exactly what this team is doing. This team is one game away from doing something that has never been done. Knocking LeBron's ass out in the first round. And I know that he always normally plays low seeds, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. These are the cards LeBron was dealt, and he has not been able to handle them so far. The Suns have handled him. Let's be completely honest about that. Mikhail Bridges 
DeAndre Ayton, they have done a hell of a job on LeBron. Torrey Craig, Jay Crowder, guys, have they've done their jobs. And you can't stop him. We know that. Cam Johnson has not done his job. I think all of LeBron's spin dunks have been against Cam Johnson. <laughs> LeBron has dunked on Cam a lot in this series, and I feel for Cam. He's not strong enough to hang with LeBron. But other than that, it's pretty much been a nightmare for him. He can't get to the rim in the way he wants to. He can't just go through Aiton. He has to settle for a lot of jump shots. And even though his three has been falling, LeBron doesn't want to shoot 25 threes a game. He's not Steph. He's not Dame. That's not how he thinks. We are not letting the Lakers do what they want to do. We held them to 85 fucking points. I don't give a shit that Anthony Davis didn't play. I thought that LeBron James had the strongest shoulders in the world and he was here to carry all of it. If LeBron is such a superhero who can do everything, why does it matter that Anthony Davis didn't play? Chris Paul is hurt. You know, I don't want to hear any fucking excuses. I was told over and over and over that LeBron James was simply too good and that the Phoenix Suns simply didn't have enough talent. I was told that all year. I was told that any potential Suns-Lakers series would be a buzzsaw for the Lakers. You know, look at this. Look at what's happening. The, the Suns last night played to their potential and they blew the shit out of the Lakers. Wasn't even close. Blew them out of the room. Ran them off the floor. The Suns made so many shots. The Lakers basically had no ability to compete. And I hear all these people again. They're like, well, when the Lakers start making their shots. Yeah, but the Lakers aren't good shooters. The Lakers are bad shooters. So this idea that suddenly they're just going to start bagging triples like they did last year. It's not the same team. It's a different team. And guess what? The Suns are very good at shooting, especially from deep, especially from the mid-range, especially if you give us any room at all. It was never an issue of when the Lakers shots start falling. It was always an issue of when the Suns shots start falling. And they are now. And the Lakers simply don't have the offensive ability to keep up with that. Now, who knows what will happen in Game 6. And of course, I don't want LeBron in a Game 7. But if you watch this game and your takeaway was, well, the Lakers will be fine at home. I don't think you're paying attention. I don't think that you're paying attention to what's going on. And I'm going to tell you another thing. This Lakers team is not nearly as good as last year's team. I told everyone in the offseason, they're making weird moves that don't fit. These are not smart choices. I told everyone this. And again, everyone dismissed me. But let's take a look at what the Lakers did. They signed Montrez Harrell, right? That was their big thing, was the big coup was they got Montrez Harrell to leave the Clippers and come to the Lakers for just a mid-level exception. That was like the big, big signing. Harrell has been so ineffective in the minutes that he played in this series that he basically hasn't played. That's how little Frank Vogel feels about his ability to compete in this series. Mark Gasol, the other name signing. Gasol's had his moments. He's hit some threes. He's helped space the floor a little bit. He hit a nice putback in uh, the quarter, end of quarter game one. Like, he's done his job a little bit here and there. But for the most part, doing your job a little bit here and there. I mean, who cares? It's not He's not impacting the series in a major way. And then, of course, the other big acquisition was to trade was Dennis Schroeder. Basically flipping uh, Danny Green for him. Um, You know, Schroeder has been really good in this series. So... Credit where credit is due there until last night when the Suns put Mikhail Bridges on Schroeder and he fucking vaporized him. Nothing. 
Schroeder got nothing last night because Mikael Bridges wouldn't let him have a damn thing. The Suns' defense is legitimate. The Suns' defense is for real. The Suns' offense is legitimate. The Suns' offense is for real. A top six team in both categories. You need to be a top 10 in both to win. Lakers don't have a top 10 offense. Especially not right now. I don't know what to tell people. I don't know how many times I need to repeat this over and over. We've got better depth. We also have two superstars. And one of them is becoming a third superstar before our eyes in DeAndre Ayton. We have better depth than they do. We've got better coaching. It just, I, I, you know, Lakers fans can't see the force for the trees, and that's fine. You don't want to look at what's going on. They're on Twitter. Oh, Suns fans are annoying. You haven't won anything. You know what? Shut the fuck up. When you win a playoff game by 30, you're allowed to run your fucking mouth. And I'm sick of Lakers fans trying to say that we can't. All right? We can fucking say whatever we want to. And we can enjoy the shit out of LeBron being on the precipice of losing his first ever first round series. You're goddamn right we can enjoy that. And I told everyone all offseason, Schroeder, Harrell, and Gasol are not the same dudes as Dwight Howard, as Rajon Rondo, right? As Danny Green. That's essentially the Lakers swapped Rondo, Green, and Howard, and JaVale McGee for Gasol, Harrell, and Schroeder, and giving Taylor Horton Tucker some more minutes, and you bring in Wes Matthews, Ben McLemore, blah, 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 blah. They're not as good as they were last year, and they're no longer playing in a bubble where you're just playing in a gym and everyone just gets to shoot shots with shooting backgrounds, and there's no crowd. It's not like that anymore. The arena was fucking electric last night, and the Lakers just weren't really ready for it. Kyle Kuzma, good all season, right? Been a good defender. He's a solid offensive player. He's been fucking nothing in this series. He's been an absolute zero in this series. The Suns are kicking ass. The Suns are going to win this series. And then we're going to go on from there. And I don't want to hear any more about... I just don't want to hear any of this bullshit. This team deserves the respect. And I'm not listening to anyone who doesn't give it to them. Last night was proof positive that one team is significantly deeper and significantly better. And that team is not the Lakers. The Phoenix Suns whooped ass. But now we stand at the edge. You cannot blow this series. You cannot let this go a different way. If you are Phoenix, you must rise to the occasion one more time in Los Angeles and step on their fucking necks and break their fucking hearts. Right in front of their small smattering of fans who are cheering as they show up halfway through the first quarter, we need to break their fucking hearts. Step on them and just walk away. It is time to break the Lakers. It is not just time to beat LA. It is time to break LA. Let's fuck this franchise up. Let's send them into major rebuild mode this summer. Let's make them believe that they aren't shit. And let's make them make a panic move that endangers their ability to compete with anyone in the future. Let's make them make a bad choice by sending their asses packing now. So much more is at stake than just this first round series. The perception around the league of veterans, of coaches, of people who would come to Phoenix... The fear in the eyes of the other team when they see you after you down the champions. 
there is so much more to this game six than just a single first round series or just eliminating LeBron in the first round for the first time for him or just moving on to the second round for the first time in a decade. There's so much more than all of that. I said it on the last episode that the Suns stand on the precipice of being capable of building a dynasty. They're at the edge looking up and they can climb there. They can make it. Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton can put the crew on the back and carry them there while Chris Paul guides the ship. It can be done. But it starts with a simple victory in game six. And here's the blueprint. Every single thing you just did in game five. All of it. Completely repeatable. Will the Lakers adjust? Sure. But there's no adjustment for Dennis Schroeder not being able to get by Mikhail Bridges. There's no adjustment for DeAndre Ayton being literally built for playoff basketball and a player that the Lakers have no ability to defend in any way. There's no answer for the Suns just being a better team. And Game 6 will be the day it is displayed. And the rest of the league will take note and they will realize what they are fucking with and what they have been ignoring. And then it's on to what's next. But now let's talk about what an insane fucking day it has been in the world of basketball. So I woke up. I slept in a little bit. I partied a little hard last night, I'll be honest. And the following things have happened today. Okay, Danny Ainge retired from being the Boston Celtics president of basketball operations. Brad Stevens was elevated to Celtics president of basketball operations. So uh, Ainge is gone. Brad Stevens is now running the show in Boston, but he is not coaching. He's done coaching. Brad Stevens is tired of coaching, so he's not doing it anymore. So the Celtics don't have a coach now, and they've started a new coaching search to be led by Jason Kidd and Lloyd Pierce. Not not that those two are leading the search, but they're the lead candidates. Joel Embiid has a meniscus tear. So all of the whole, oh, it didn't look so bad. It might not have been so bad. You know, he still played four minutes. He has a meniscus tear. It's slight, but he still has a torn meniscus. And Coach K is retiring after next year. This is so much information to take in in just moments. And I just like scrolling through just blowing mind just so many things you know everyone is talking about dame's game from last night and that's now old news because there's a billion other things that have occurred we're going to tackle each and every one of these subjects let's just start well, let's start at the beginning danny ainge retires good it's time i don't know if he was tired of the situation or he felt pressure from the outside or his family i don't know what Danny Ainge's personal situation is, but this is a positive move for the Celtics because Danny has simply passed his time in this NBA. The The way that he operates, I mean, he's become a laughingstock for not trading for star players and then leaking that he was about to trade for those star players. He's done it a million times. It's been like a whole thing. It's to the point that we all make jokes anytime anything happens about how Danny Ainge was close to acquiring this person. People make those jokes about NFL trades. So, this is a good thing for Boston, though. They needed to be rid of Danny Ainge. They needed to move on from that situation. Firing him is difficult just because of what he has meant to the franchise. He did build a championship team. It was a long time ago. Nonetheless, 
it would have been a weird situation. So Danny retiring is the way for that to go. But just overall, like the guy was past his prime as a GM. He's living in a slightly different world. He's made moves that are frankly just some of them are completely inexcusable and confusing, like just dumping Tice for no reason. Um, It just I know that that's such a small move, but it's stuff like that that has just been bizarre. Bringing in Tristan Thompson, your big move is acquiring Evan Fournier. You had the chance maybe to get Miles Turner and you didn't do it. Like he's just past his prime as a GM because the moves he's making are not the right ones. Uh, You know, it's. They've always been questionable. Even like bringing in Kyrie was a weird move to then just be like, oh, Kyrie will be the leader of this team. Like that didn't make any sense at the start. I just, I I have never really understood a lot of the things that Danny Ainge has done in recent years. I, I, I find a lot of it to be mind boggling. I find it to be a poor execution of a position that he is in. That has quite a lot of power, quite frankly. And the Celtics name does carry weight in the NBA, despite what, um, you know, the negative backlash about, you know, there's some negativity with Boston fans, obviously, but, you know, playing for the Celtics does mean something to, you know, a lot of younger players. Like they're very excited uh, to be in Boston or to be with the Lakers or to be with the Knicks, you know, just names that have brand, important brand identity for whatever reason, you know, so people love the Celtics and Danny Ainge had been doing a poor job of keeping this team going. I mean, he nailed it with the Tatum and Brown picks. We all know that, but it just, you know, then you, when you Kyrie leaves, you pivot to Kemba Walker and, and his cancer. And you say, this is our plan a, you know, and it's like, you could have just gone young and not signed a contract that is now burdensome to the team. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't think that Danny has done a great job. And I think that this was time And I think, you know, this is a good situation. As far as Brad Stevens, though, like, you know, like what he has no front office experience. What qualifies him to be, you know, president of basketball operations? I'm glad they're not trying to do the dual role thing because that never works. You know, it basically only works with pop. And that's because he trusts his GM so much that he doesn't do that level of work on, you know, being a GM, even though that he is, you know, the, the God around there. So it's smart that they're not having Stevens try to coach and be president of basketball operations. But what does he know about being president of basketball operations? Like is the idea that he was a college coach. So therefore he might be good at scouting And therefore, you know, theoretically drafting like is that I mean, I guess I can understand that to some extent. Um, But like, I I don't know that he's a great scout. Like, I know that he was a good coach at Butler. And I know that he got the most out of guys who were not, you know, NBA players with the exception of, I guess, Gordon Hayward and Shelvin Mack. I mean, but he got Butler back to the title game after Gordon Hayward left with Shelvin Mack, like as his best player. And Shelvin Mack has been, you know, a dude who's had a cup of coffee with a couple NBA teams here and there. He had, he's had, he's been in the NBA, he's in the league, but you know, Shelvin Mack is not someone who's starting or, you know what I'm saying? So um, it's definitely, I mean, it's an idea. Like it's a thought, like if they know firsthand that he was always an incredible scout, then, you know, maybe that's something. But, like, my knowledge of Brad Stevens has always been about his coaching and his ability to coach and his ability to get the most out of his guys. So, like, your primary skill is now no longer involved in your job. 
and you're now going to just go do another job that we don't necessarily know that you're good at. Like, this is the thing that people don't really seem to understand is that GM and coach are not the same fucking job. And not just it's not just an interchangeable thing where you just do either one. I mean, like, look at like Monty Williams, like, you know, he was a head coach. Then he took a couple of assistant jobs. Then he took a front office job to learn. You know, he didn't just automatically get you know promoted to president of basketball operations of a team. Like, you know, he took a role in a front office to learn about front office work. And then he went back to coaching. So I just don't I'm not saying it'll fail. And, you know, Brad Stevens has, you know, intimate knowledge about the roster that he's with now. So, you know, certainly he knows their value in terms of trades and stuff. But, like, if I'm a Celtics player, dude, this feels like he quit on me. Like, like, I'm sorry, but that's what I would think if I was one of those guys. It's like, okay, so you didn't really want to ride to the fire with us, and now you're going to go upstairs. Now you're going to start trading us. And think about whatever conversations he's had with them about trusting them or wanting them around or whatever. And now you're just going to go do a different job where you're going to break those promises in some cases. I just don't, if you want to be a front office dude, I think it's fine. I just think it's really weird to just immediately take a front office job with your current team. I mean, it's, it's a promotion. He's still there. I get it. I just, I find this weird and you know, everyone at least in Boston, believes that Brad Stevens is so smart, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But, like, he's smart as a coach. I don't understand how this suddenly works. Like, like, I mean, is the idea just that he's going to be, he's just going to make the choices? We'll have someone else actually do the trade negotiations? Like, what does he know about that? Are they just going to keep an assistant GM in place and have them do it? Maybe so. Maybe, maybe that's the case. Like, I don't know all the, you know, all the details of all the structure, but essentially Boston had a GM who was over the hill and was no longer doing his job in an effective manner. And they had a coach who was worn down by coaching. And so they solved this problem by letting their older GM retire and promoting the coach. And now they're going to hire someone from the outside rather than like considering bringing in someone who respects the Celtics brand and has experience and knows what they're doing. Like this just seems like a poor choice to me. And I understand it's continuity and, you know, the Celtics like to promote and blah, blah, blah. But I just don't understand any of this. Again, coach and GM are not interchangeable roles that you're good at. One does not mean you're good at the other. It just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And even if he is successful, let's say that he is. He's still a relatively young man. He's going to have the urge to coach again. Like, I just believe that. And so what happens then? You're just going to leave your president of basketball operations job to coach somewhere else? Or are we going to have yet another Pat Riley, Stan Van Gundy situation where Stan Van Gundy was coaching Miami? It wasn't going so well. So Pat Riley fired him, came down out of the front office, coached the team himself, won the title, and then, you know, kind of went back to the um, front office only eventually, but it just, is that going to happen? Like the Celtics coaching isn't working. So Brad Stevens fires him, comes down, coaches, then goes back to the front. Like, what is like, I don't, you're never going to have the urge to coach again. Like, I think that making a choice like this based on what's gone on with the pandemic, like take a leave of absence over the summer, man. Like 
take some time to yourself. This is a weird choice to me. I think that Brad Stevens will end up regretting it. You've been a coach forever. You know, Woj specifically mentioned the bubble. And he basically said Brad Stevens feels worn down coaching since the bubble. That's completely understandable. We are all worn down. I just think it's really... This has a a major long-term effect on the future of the Celtics. And this choice, I mean, if he is just done with coaching, then fine. He could learn to be a president of basketball operations. He's a smart guy. But I believe he's going to have the itch to coach again at some point. And I believe if things aren't going well for the Celtics, people are going to make calls for him to do what Pat Riley did and fire that coach and come down and coach. And I think that's going to be uncomfortable and not something that Boston wants to deal with. And it's just, I just think that this situation is not going to go as well as they hope. I don't think that this is the smartest thing that they could have done. I really, this is a very drastic move to make. I know that they've been talking about it for months. I know that this is like not something that just came up today, but the season just ended. And again, if you're the Celtics players, your coaches, you've had a bad season and your coach is now quitting on you, but now he's the one who, like, you report to about trades after he just basically admitted he phoned in this season. I, I just, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, you don't usually, this is not the role. It doesn't typically happen this way. You don't typically go from coach to president of basketball operations of the same team. I'm not saying it never happens. Pat Riley did it. That's Pat fucking Riley, man. Comparing everyone to Pat Riley is a stupid idea. Even fucking Phil Jackson couldn't hack it as the you know GM in New York. Maybe he was too old at that point. Whatever. It doesn't matter. He still couldn't do it. Pat Riley is doing it at that age. You know, I just mean Phil Jackson was just mentally checked out. He didn't want to live in New York. I'm not trying to be ageist. I'm just saying he was in his mind just out of, you know, that that he was in a wrong mind frame to be a president of basketball operations. So it just... Maybe this will work because Brad Stevens is so smart and so committed to the Celtics. And maybe he really is just done with coaching. But, like, to me, that would mean that every single thing goes right for Boston in this scenario. And things have not gone right for them, so why would you just assume it would? And, you know, Jason Kidd is a horrendous idea as a head coach. Horrendous, horrendous, horrendous. You know, I mean, Jason Kidd was head coach of, of the Nets, as we all know, the super team Nets, and he tried to get Billy King fired, and then he went to the Bucks, and then he tried to get, you know, the GM job and get more power there, too. He's always done the power grab thing, so there's no reason he wouldn't try to do the same thing in, in Boston, and, you know, again, that would create a situation where Brad Stevens might have to fire Jason Kidd for trying to you know, take too much power and then people are going to call for him to coach. Like I, I just, that is the Jason Kidd thing is the exact scenario that blows up in their face. So if the Celtics hire Jason Kidd, that's a fucking disaster. Absolute disaster. Lloyd Pierce. No one was thrilled with him in Atlanta. I have railed against, you know, Atlanta for when and how they fired him. Um, I don't, you know, I have no real opinion of Lloyd Pierce. People used to have a really good opinion of him as a player development coach. No one really has a great opinion of him right now as a head coach. I I think it's probably true that he's still a very good player development coach. 
He didn't find his way as a head coach, maybe, but a lot of guys get better at their second job. And, you know, the Celtics still have a lot of player development to do. They've got a lot of young guys. And if you're going to pivot younger, Lloyd Pierce probably is a really good um, coach for that, uh, for that reason. But, you know, specifically, did he do a good job, job on the X's and O's this season? If you ask a Hawks fan, they would say no. So, you know, I, I, you know, you'd have to think about that one. That could be a tough sell just based on some of the, you know, some of what went on. But again, like, you know, I didn't like Atlanta's process. I didn't like Brooklyn's process either when they fired Kenny Atkinson. Um, so, you know, I don't have a negative opinion of Lloyd Pierce as a head coach right now or anything like that. I'm just saying that I was surprised somewhat to see his name listed immediately because some people uh, did say some, you know, again, they had some negative things to say about his X's and O's, but I think, you know, I don't know how much outside perception really matters in that situation. If you think a guy is a good coach who gives a shit about what the fans of a team that has never gone anywhere thinks, you know what I mean? It's just not really, um, it's not up to them to choose. And this is going to be on Brad Stevens. Um, I don't, you know, I, I didn't, I couldn't think of anyone necessarily, um, you know, that would be like, this is just such a shocking situation. I mean, the name, you know, that's always out there, David Vanterpool, of course, um, if Terry Stotts was fired by Portland, would they consider bringing him to Boston? I don't know. Um, Mike D'Antoni, theoretically, like if they wanted to find a way to, you know, because Mike D'Antoni was, you know, almost going to be the Pacers coach, maybe. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of guys. There's a lot of names. We don't really know. The first two names that have appeared in the search are Lloyd Pierce and Jason Kidd. And those are two player development coaches, really. So I think that that indicates to me that Boston intends to go young, um, in which case, you know, that, you know, Kemba Walker may be moving on. If Mike D'Antoni was hired, you know, you're not going young. You're trying to, you know, make Kemba Walker the focal point of your offense or figure out a way to go, you know, point Brown or point Tatum or some, some crazy stuff like that. Again, I haven't seen Mike D'Antoni mentioned or anything. He's just you know, a name that gets mentioned with every head coaching job. And, you know, when when the Celtics hired Brad Stevens, it came out of fucking nowhere. It was like one of it was it literally came out of nowhere. And now this situation with Brad Stevens becoming president of basketball ops and Danny Ainge retiring came out of nowhere. So I would not be shocked if Boston makes a hire suddenly and we had no clue that that person was on the radar and you don't even necessarily know who they are. You know, I know that we all knew Brad Stevens. We basketball people knew him as the coach of Butler, you know, from those NCAA tournament runs. But I don't know how many people knew Brad Stevens that well when he was hired by Boston. So it wouldn't shock me if they did something similar again, plucked a college coach or, um, you know, an, an assistant that we don't know about yet. Um, there's a lot of, you know. But man, it's like, I, I wish Steven Silas had gotten this job, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like this situation is much better than what happened to him in Houston. I feel bad for him, but hopefully he'll get uh, some good young talent out there. But that that's a conversation for another day. As far as Boston goes, I think these moves are weird. It will depend on who the coach is. But at the end of the day, you still have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And so that's a really good fucking place to be. You just got to figure out all the next steps and how to find a coach that can connect with them without, I mean, cause it's like, what if they want to talk to you about the coach? Cause you have a relationship with them 
you're the GM now. You're not really supposed to talk to players on that level, like behind the coach's back sort of thing. Like, th- like this is all going to get really complicated. And maybe it works out, but I, the Celtics are going to have to find a coach who can navigate some seriously weird dynamics because this is a strange situation. It's an atypical situation, and you're going to need a strong-minded person who can handle that players may still have relationships with Stevens for a while while he builds his relationships with them as a coach. You know, you're going to need someone strong because this is going to be a weird next season, maybe two seasons while all of this gets, you know, worked out. So you're going to need to find someone who not necessarily, you know, a hard headed, you know, you know, Thibodeau type, but just you're going to need to find someone who won't wilt away when, There could be some question of power dynamics or something like that. And I understand that's where you might be attracted to Jason Kidd because he's certainly not going to be afraid of that. The problem is that he's going to try to fuck it all up. He'll throw a wrench in the process. So I just this is going to be weird. And for the record, like if you were asking me who I thought the Celtics should hire, um, you know, again, everyone in the league loves David Vanterpool. So if you're going to go the assistant route, I would say that way. Um, they do have a problem with offense. So if you're going to go the retread head coach, I think Mike D'Antoni is the guy in that sense. I'm not, I don't think that'll happen. I'm just saying, if you're going to go with the retread head coach, I don't know who else you go with. Um, and you know, I mean, you could take a look at Brett Brown, you know, I mean, that's, that's someone that's available too. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's their situations. So, um, they're going to have to have a strong dynamic. They're going to be able to have to deal with a weird situation. Brett Brown did a little bit of that. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a fun coaching search, though. We're going to see a lot of weird names in this one, I think. Or it'll just happen. It'll just be a woge bomb. You know, they've hired some high school coach, and you're like, what? <laughs> the Celtics do a good job of keeping their cards close to the vest until after the trade deadline, then they leak everything. Oh, well. Speaking of... Uh, I mentioned Brett Brown and his time with the 76ers. Speaking of the 76ers, Joel Embiid has a slight meniscus tear in his knee. They are not going to do surgery. They are going to uh, go the therapy and rest route, you know, physical therapy, some kind of rest, some kind of rest therapy. I, I don't know exactly what all they're doing. I don't know what rest therapy is. I'm sure it's a thing. If not, we should meant it. The point is, it fucking sucks. Joel Embiid has a meniscus tear, even if it is slight and he intends to play. It just, this sucks, man. Um, You know, again, I said the Sixers were going to come out of the East. You know, I've said they were going to beat the Nets. Um, This just really sucks. It it really sucks. And, um, you know, I mean, there's not much else to say. I mean, the Sixers are going to rest him as long as they possibly can because, you know, you don't really need him for the rest of this Washington series. You should be able to win this series without him. And then playing the winner of Hawks, Knicks, most likely the Hawks at this point, can you hang with the Hawks without Joel Embiid? You still got Ben Simmons. You still got Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey, Dwight Howard. Still got some players on this team. Um, but it is rough. And essentially the 76ers plan to you know, play it by ear. And, you know, if they're able to win games without him, then Joel gets more rest. And, you know, when they need him, 
if his swelling goes down and he's able to play, you know, they will, you know, they'll bring him in eventually, but he's got to get healed up first. But I mean, it's just a tough situation because I'm generally on the side of erring on the side of caution and sitting guys because your career matters more than this one playoff run. And especially in a situation like this, like even if the swelling is down and they think things okay, the meniscus is still torn, man. If you, you know, you land the wrong way or twist the wrong way, you might shred the whole thing. Man, it's. And if you miss a year, like you're out till next playoffs or something because you fuck up your knee. I just I I don't know, man. Like, I feel so bad for Joel because he's missed so much time. And, you know, it reminds me a lot of Yao Ming, honestly. You know, Yao could just never stay healthy for an entire season. And the thing is, is that Joel has been healthy most of this year. Um, You know, he played a lot of games. He didn't play every game. He got hurt at one point, then missed a few. He played some back-to-backs, though. I mean, he's been fairly reliable, and then this happens again. Now, to be fair, um, you know, Joel has... I mean, you know, we we all remember the series against uh, the Raptors with the Kawhi shot and everything. Like, it's not like he misses every playoff run. He's been there. Um, but this was really the time that the 76ers were primed to go for it um, and potentially bring this whole thing home. And this sucks. But there's nothing that you can do if you're the Sixers except play on and hope that he comes back and hope that if he comes back that he stays healthy. I mean, I you know, again – if the 76ers just ruled him out for the rest of the playoffs, I wouldn't blame them because you're trying to protect his career, but you've also got a really damn good chance this year. And if he can play through it, then, you know, I understand it. These are, these are some of the toughest decisions ever because like it it can end up affecting your legacy. Like if you fuck up your knee more and you're never the same again or something, or if you play through it and you win the ring and you you end up being healthy and okay, then, you know, I mean, it's like it's a really tough decision because you simply don't know what will happen either way. And there are some pretty damn extreme outcomes like a potential title versus a potential nagging multi-year problem. You know, I mean, Eric Bledsoe had a slight meniscus tear when he was in Phoenix and he'd had a lot of injury issues and they shaved his meniscus down. Instead of, you know, doing the like the surgery where they repair it and you have to sit out for the year, he did the shave. And man, Eric Bledsoe has really not been the same player since then. Just to be completely honest, like ever since he started wearing away his meniscus, you know, he his explosion is not there. Um, I mean, he's never been that good of a shooter, but he was certainly a much better shooter when his knee was in better shape. And I just worry. I'm glad that Joel Embiid doesn't appear to be going the route where they're shaving the meniscus. I don't want them to do that. That would be stupid. That would that would really fuck things up. So you just got to hope for the best. You know, I want to see teams play at their best. I want teams to beat each other at the top of their games. And, um, you know, we just got to hope for the best with Joel. So... Um, you know, I don't know what else to say about that, honestly. It's just, it's, you know, they should be able to take out the Wizards without him. The Hawks series and the or the Knicks series, that one would be tough. I mean, again, you've still got two really good players. You know, one defensive player of the year type, one sub all-star type. You've got nice role players on that team. Um, 
Like, I would be more confident against the Knicks right now, you know, just given what we've seen of how the Knicks have struggled in the playoffs, but it's not likely to be the Knicks. And I think that, you know, there is some potential for the Hawks to do damage and make that a very long series. Now, the thing is, you know, Trey Young isn't playing Ben Simmons right now, and it is very possible that Ben Simmons defending Trey Young would fuck up a lot of what the the Hawks want to do. I almost just said the Falcons. <laughs> uh, would uh, fuck up a lot of what the Hawks want to do, and that may make uh, Philadelphia more successful in that series. But as we know, the Hawks have a lot of weapons right now. So, um, I mean, if nothing else, the 76ers-Hawks is now going to be a hell of a competitive series because there's no way that Joel can just go out there and go through everyone because um, he's not there. And if he eventually comes back in that series, then, you know, and he's and he's Joel Embiid, then, you know, the scales tip in the in the, the favor of the 76ers. But um, if Joel is hurt for an extended period, that 76ers Hawks series becomes a slugfest. And I think it's one that the, the 76ers would really try to slow the game down and, um, you know, try to get the Hawks out of their rhythm. And it'd be a really interesting series, but it just sucks because you want to see Joel Embiid you know, make his run. We will get to see the Nets bucks. That's going to be awesome. Um, you know that, you know, and, and we wanted, you know, again, we wanted to see 76ers nets or 76ers bucks. Like we wanted to see those finals. Um, so, you know, hopefully Joel gets right. We just got to hope for the best for Joel. That's, that's all we can ever do. Injuries suck ass. Okay. I'm going to take another quick victory lap here. I have been telling people all year that Dame and Steph are essentially the same type of player. So close so that if you swap their careers, like you just put Dame in Golden State and you put Steph in Portland, we basically had the same outcome. Dame would have multiple rings. Steph wouldn't. I think this year really shows that, you know, um, I mean, look at what Dame did last night. It's unreal. 55 points, 10 assists, 12 threes. He was like 12 of 16 or 12 of 17. I mean, Dame was unfucking believable He wouldn't let – I mean, he just would not let that game go until the bitter end. And, you know, unfortunately for the Blazers, they lost. But, like, I've been saying all year, like, you just – Dame is everything that Steph is. I mean, he just has never had a Draymond Green. You know, he's never had another running mate who just could – completely affect the game like that. I know that CJ McCollum is good, but I've said many times I don't believe that the Blazers, you know, the pairing of Dame and CJ is like a, a, a title pairing. And I'm just telling you that if you put Dame in in uh, Oracle and you've got Clay and Dre flanking him and Kevin Durant for a couple of years there, like, I'm sorry, that's those are rings. Those are rings. I'm not saying that Dame is, you know, a better shooter than Steph or something. You know, truthfully, Steph is probably a better shooter. I think Dame is more clutch. We've seen Steph miss, you know, big shots at the end of games, obviously. Dame, I've seen, we've seen Steph hit a ton of clutch shots, of course. I'm just saying, like, Dame has to drag his team to victory so much more than Steph does. This year, Steph, you know, really elevated his game, did a lot. But, you know, again, Wiggins got a lot better. Draymond Green looked like Draymond Green again for parts of the season. Like, you know, Dame has never had that. He's, you know, he's had good role players and good coaching. Is Terry Stotts worse than Steve Kerr? Maybe not. I don't know. Who the hell knows? But, man, 
I just really think if you swap their careers and swap their places where they had been, and I understand that they didn't come into the league exactly the same time. I know that. I'm just saying Dame would have rings playing in Golden State, and Steph would still be trying to get one playing in Portland. And, I, you know, I just think it's – I mean, I think it's time to blow up Portland in one of two ways. Either you're trading McCollum, you're trading Nurkic, you're trading Roko, you're trading everything for to build a big three through whatever means possible. Like, just abandon all hope and just trade the shit away and get a big three and then sign a bunch of veterans and do the studs and duds thing and just go for it. There's always guys available. There's always ways to make trades happen. I know that they can't, you know, get necessarily the best guys, but you've already got the elite player. You need two big defensive dudes to flank him, whether it be a big guard who can shoot, a Paul George. Oh my God, how funny would it be to have Dame and Paul George paired up? They hate each other. Um, but you know, you need that type of dude, and then you need some kind of, you know, maybe you keep Nurkic, but you trade everyone else for, you know, a super good player. Whatever it is, the point is. You can do that, or it's time to trade Dame. And I know that Dame is loyal to Portland, and he doesn't want to go anywhere, and he wants to build a team in Portland. I understand all of those things, and I respect him for that. But if you're not going to change this team in a substantial way, why do this again? Why keep doing this thing where you just keep like bringing this team back, and we'll do it this exact way, but we'll sign, we'll make this one small move on the edge. This doesn't work, man. It is either time to trade Dame somewhere else, or it is time to go balls to the wall, move McCollum, move Rocco, move Nurkic, move all the picks and young guys, do everything you can to bring in, you know, two good players. It's, it, it's, those are the situations you're in. And if you're telling me, oh, they don't have the assets to acquire two good players. Okay, then it's time to trade Dame. I think that they could acquire... There's a lot of trades that can be made in this league. And there's a lot of, you put Dame with the right kind of guys and suddenly it's a whole different situation. And, you know, if you're Portland, if you decide to move on from Dame and you keep everyone else, you, you know, you could get a shit ton back for Dame and you would still be a, a relatively decent team. Or you just blow the whole fucking thing up, trade everyone and start again. I don't know. I mean, I I know that these are harsh words and, you know, we, we don't want to lose. But it's what's the point? Like, honestly, what is the point of you know what this team is? You know exactly what they will do. And making small fringe changes won't change that. It's like, oh, we added Robert Covington. OK, like that's that's fine. Like Robert Covington is someone who helps the Lakers get over the top against the Clippers. It's not someone who helps Portland become a number two seed. You understand what I'm saying? Like he's a role player who helps you win a playoff series when the playoff series is on, is decided on the margins. He's not a guy who makes your team suddenly substantially better. Like moves like that don't, or, you know, we brought back 36 year old Carmelo Anthony. Like, again, it's like, okay, that's fine for your bench. Like, but you know, when he starts at times, it's just this situation is what it is. And Neil O'Shea needs to go and drastic changes need to be made to the Blazers roster. And if they don't do that, they're going to continue to be in this exact same situation every year where Dame is exhausted on the podium and depressed because he put up some phenomenal, unbelievable game and he doesn't have a single teammate who can get a stop. (laughs) Watched it over and over and it is what it is, man. 
I really hope the Blazers make wholesale changes, either by trading Dame somewhere he can win, or by blowing that shit up and bringing in two dudes who change everything for them. You gotta trade everything, but you can do it. And finally, one last piece of news that I don't particularly care about, but it's just worthy of discussing because this you know day of insane basketball news, and that's Coach K retiring. Um, he's going to coach one more year, Duke, and then moving on. They've already got a coach in waiting in John Shire, so there's not going to be any, or Shire, whatever it is, there's not going to be any um, you know, coaching search and who's going to be the next guy. None of that. Um, they pretty much already decided everything, but uh, as we know, Coach K, you know, stepping down from Duke is, I mean, it's a big deal just because he's been there forever. You know, he's been there a very long time. He was the coach of Team USA forever. He stepped down from there as well and let, you know, Popovich take over. And, um, you know, it just seems like Coach K may be heading off into the sunset. Maybe he'll be a consultant places. Maybe he'll run basketball camps. Who knows what he wants to do, but he's been around forever. And uh, it looks like he's heading off. Um, I don't really know much about this dude. I don't know if he's like a Trump supporter or something. So I don't want to, uh, like, I, I don't know. I mean, it's I don't know. Maybe he's a good dude. I don't know. I don't really know a lot about him. So I'm not going to sit here and give some big speech about how great a coach Coach K was. He was fine, whatever. But, hey, you're a dude who's coached forever and you're riding off into the sunset. We salute you as a basketball coach, I suppose. Um, but Coach K is, is moving on. And... Um, that's just a another you know crazy piece of news. This has been one hell of a fucking day for basketball news, let's be honest. And that is the Blood Doctor Show. These have been crazy fun playoffs. Let's hope that they continue to be crazy fun for the Phoenix Suns. Let's get out of this first round against the Lakers. And let's make a fucking run to the title. Let's fucking go Suns! Peace. <laughs>